listening to Mind of the Alpha, raw, unedited, and straight from the wolf's mouth. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Bobby. And um, I want to go ahead and apologize ahead of time, Dr. Bullitt. I didn't tell you this, but um, I have false teeth, and my dog ate my teeth the other day. Um, so my our listeners probably find that a little bit funny, though. But um, I got Gio here with me. What up? How's everybody doing? Hi, hey, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got, um, we've actually got a guest this week. Uh, we've got Dr. Bolad. Dr. Bolad is a board certified cardiologist. Uh, how you doing, Dr. Bolad? I'm fine. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing great, except for, you know, talking without the tea thing. But you probably have to deal with that sometimes <laughs> as a doctor, right? <laughs> so uh, we wanted to get, get Dr. Bolad on here because we, uh, we, one of the things that we like to do, Dr. Bullard, is we like to, um, you know, talk about not only, you know, men's health, but also um, mental health, but physical well-being as well. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest killers out there, obviously, is cardio, cardiovascular disease and heart disease. Um, so that's one of, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on here. But I did want to ask you, how, how long have you been doing what you do? Um, I have been a physician for uh, like 35 years, and I have okay. been a cardiologist for about 25 years. Really? Okay. So what, yes. what, uh, what made you get into cardiology? You know, um, that's a question I always get asked. But since I was like a teenager, I was always impressed by the heart and um, the cardiovascular health. So um, when I went into medicine, uh, I knew right, right from day one into the medical school that I wanted to be a cardiologist. And, um, and I did. Uh, so it's really that I feel that the heart, um, is obviously a very important organ in the body. And number one cause of killer, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, is cardiovascular disease. And therefore, by help, by helping heart disease, you are helping a large, uh, portion of the population and a large portion of your patients. Right. Right. And and I didn't, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I actually suffered a heart attack myself. Oh no, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, how, yeah. how long ago was that? Um, it's actually been this March. It'll be four years. Um, so it was the day before my 35th birthday. Yeah. Wow, young. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I had a hundred percent blockage in my left interior, interior descending artery. Um, and they had to go through my wrist to put a stent in. Um, do you have a family history, Bobby, of uh, heart disease? Yeah, I do, actually. So my grandfather passed away on my mom's side from heart disease or from a heart attack. Um, my dad had heart disease and, and then a couple of my aunts also have heart disease. So that's that's one of the things I definitely wanted to kind of talk to you about. I mean, what is the as far as like uh, family history, how does that play a role in heart disease? So when you told me your age and you had a heart disease, I was pretty certain you have got a family history. And that's why I asked you uh, about, do you have a family history of that? So um, family history actually is the most important predictor. Uh, right. So all of us really, we, it's a, like a lottery at birth. You don't know, uh, you are born with it. So it's not like you have got any um, choice uh, mm -hmm. if it is genetics from both parents. Uh, you can be doing all the right things for uh, reducing your cardiovascular risk, like eating healthy, exercising, etc. And uh, still, you'll get a heart attack at uh, 
a younger age. So, and actually, I, I as I mentioned, see that uh, family history is a very important predictor of uh, cardiovascular uh, disease and especially heart attacks, uh, coronary arteries and, ha- and heart attacks. So it's just unfortunate that we can't do much about it, but mm-hmm. we can obviously try to lessen the likelihood of progression uh, uh, by doing the right things. Doctor, what are the chances, or like statistically, what are the chances of you having heart disease if it if it's hereditary and runs in your family? It's it's quite high. Uh, it's if you have got a family history, especially both parents, as Bobby mentioned, the risk is. Um, I mean, I don't have a spe- specific number for you, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. definitely over fifty percent, you are going to get it. Wow. Well, yeah. So I mean, that's really scary, man. Like, <clears throat> that yeah, is I scary, man. Because I'll be honest with you, up until I had my heart attack, like I never really dove into my family history. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as that goes, like, and I didn't know that it played such a high role in my health, particularly my health. I know, I knew there was other things that can happen with, like, uh, you know, cancer and things like that. That that can be hereditary, I, I believe, like genes and all that, but. I didn't realize that it played such a high role in, in your, in your heart. As well. Yeah. That definitely yeah. makes me want to like dive into my family history a little bit more considering like, I know in African American culture, like just African Americans in general, like we have higher blood pressure. I myself have hypertension and medicated for it. So it's mm-hmm. like, I want to take all the precautions that I can so that I don't end up in your situation. You know? Right. Yeah. I don't want to have a heart attack at all. So, so not to mention I'm overweight. So yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, absolutely. Um, family history is is very important, especially if both parents have it. And um, now, to just to put things the age issue, um, the youngest person I have treated for a heart attack was seventeen years of age, one seven. Oh and I remember this very clearly. I was actually practicing at Saint Mary's Hospital in London, in the United Kingdom, and I remember getting the call like two o'clock in the morning. We have got a seventeen years. 17 year old student with a heart attack and i just said saying well are you sure about this and they said all the science here says it's a heart attack and sure enough i took him to the cast lab just like what you had bobby mm-hmm. and i looked at his artery and it was the left anterior descending artery as well blocked uh, so 17 year old kid the same thing as you yeah 17 right. year old and the only so thing he was, had an actual blockage yeah yeah what actually so what happens in your um, in a heart attack which is a very sudden event usually you have a plaque like buildup of fatty material in the inner wall and for one reason or another that plaque just cracks okay mm-hmm. and when it cracks just like if you have a cut on your skin you know you bleed and then a clot forms so when that uh when that plaque cracks clot starts to form in its place and by forming the clot it blocks the flow of blood to the part of the muscle of the heart and that's what happens it's a very acute event it's not something it builds up gradually it can mm-hmm. happen gradually but what you are describing is an acute heart attack and that's exactly what happened to him and what happened to you and happens to millions of people when, when they get a heart attack so if you get um, treated very quickly uh, the outcome is very good because the muscle is still alive and uh, you can just open it quickly and put a stent and hopefully everything will be back back to normal. 
the problems that some people don't realize that they delay it, they keep getting the pain, and then they uh, ignore it or they uh, underestimate the importance of it. And then by which time there is significant damage to the muscle of the heart. And once the muscle of the heart is deprived for over three hours uh, of blood supply and oxygen and nutrients, then the likelihood of return to normal is very, very slim, very small. So basically permanent damage has occurred. And that, that has to do with your, so what, what, what determines the damage of your ejection fraction? Absolutely. After your heart attack, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what would you say? I mean, what, you know, when I'm sitting there thinking back to when I had my heart attack, um, I wouldn't have even went to the hospital had my wife not made me. My 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 thoughts were because I was like I'm young, yeah I'm overweight I smoke cigarettes and I I didn't really take care of myself to be honest with you, um but I thought I had a pulled muscle in my chest, um so I was just gonna lay down and take a nap. But would you say that most people the reason why they don't seek help right away is because they don't want to face the fact that maybe they're having a heart attack? Right. Absolutely. I think your wife has done you a great favor and she she has least, probably, probably she has saved you, saved, saved your life mm-hmm. and the bustle of your heart. Um, the commonest reasons that people don't go, uh, they are in denial that this might not be a heart attack. If they know it's a heart attack, they will go. Okay. But they think, oh, it's something that I get all the time or just like other aches in other parts of the body. Uh, it will uh, go away. Uh, or sometimes it comes with atypical symptoms, like sometimes it's severe indigestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in your case, you told me like a pulled muscle. So this is not classical. It was um, just like extreme discomfort. It was like, right. Like I just couldn't get comfortable no matter how I sat, no matter how I stood, no matter how I laid down. It didn't matter. It just never, it just didn't happen. Um, and when I think back on it, there were signs going up until I had the actual heart attack. Um, where I would have those pains in my shoulder and I just ignored them thinking that it was nothing. So uh, what happened from your description here, you had a narrowing, was uh, becoming significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and that significant means like blocking about 70% of the diameter of your artery. Mm-hmm. And then at a particular time, there happened a crack in that blockage and then it became an acute heart attack. That's from your description. That's what my best guess would be or what has happened. And it is a very uncomfortable pain, dull, usually very dull. Extremely dull and extremely annoying. And and extremely severe as well. Mm -hmm. From what you're telling me, it was a blocking, but maybe still there was some flow to the muscle of the heart. It wasn't like 100%. Yeah, because when they when they when they actually my doctor when when I was in the cath lab they thought I only had um, I want to say they thought I only had like a ninety percent blockage in my heart, but it turned out it was like ninety nine percent blocked. Absolutely, yeah, and that's what I guessed just from your description to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if it was hundred percent blockage, if there was absolutely no flow, you would be screaming. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it would not be like uh, a dull, uncomfortable, annoying pain. You would be screaming. So there was some flow which is great. Uh, at least there was a muscle was getting some flow. Um, and that is all of a sudden um, as a result of this a plaque buildup on the wall of the artery, uh, just cracking and then a clot forming. And uh, 
preventing further flow to the muscle of the heart. That's terrifying considering it's just like, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like just myself, like a dull pain wouldn't make me think I should go to the hospital. You know what I mean? Like you said, like you wouldn't have gone had Mm -hmm. Michelle not made you go. So it's like, it's almost like that's like incredibly terrifying because it's just something you might think like, I'm like, I'm having a muscle pain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It'll go away. And you go to sleep and you don't wake up. That's, you know I mean? that's basically what they told me. Had I had I went to sleep, I probably wouldn't have woke back up. Right. And so you just like what you're saying, um, we get this actually unfortunate event. So some people think it's something very simple and they shouldn't worry, worry about it. But by the time they present when it has been there for a day or so, so much damage has already happened that's become irreversible. I uh, still will go and will do try to restore flow to the muscle of the heart, mm-hmm. but that just like a very fine tuning to what uh, has already happened. It wouldn't really bring things back. Yeah, thank uh, thank God I didn't have any permanent damage done. My my uh, ejection fraction was fifty three. I think it was um, when they tested it last. So um, so f- so fifty three is pretty good. Some people think about fifty three that it is bad, but the normal ejection fraction is about 60 to 65%, meaning that when your uh, heart contracts, it ejects 60 to 65% of the blood, which is already in the left ventricular chamber. Mm-hmm. So that's where 665, so it's 53 or 55, this is just minimally lower than normal. Uh, so that's that's pretty good. What, what would, what is considered like long-term damage like irreversible damage like what does that actually mean so segment of the part of the muscle that was affected by the blockage and mm-hmm. the reduced blood flow becomes dead it literally becomes a scar rather than a muscle it becomes a scar and it does wow. not contract so other parts of the heart try to compensate by pumping more uh, but Whatever compensation is there, it's still depending on also the extent of the damage. Uh, your heart might compensate or not. So your ejection fraction, instead of being like 53 or 55, like what Bobby said, um, so it might be you in the range of 30 or 20%, which is pretty bad. Basically, you are only functioning at, when you say ejection fraction 20%, means you are only functioning at one third of the capacity of the heart because as i said 60 percent, so you're dropping from 60 to 20 percent. therefore yeah. you are doing one third of the heart function so um that is what happens the muscle becomes a scar rather than a pumping functioning muscle to pump blood to the to the body also so there, there's no way to to heal that either once it's that damage is done it's part of the heart is dead is that correct uh once it's dead is dead then it's becoming a matter of medications to try to improve things but it it's never going to be back to normal or anything close. You can make fine tuning, improve it by five percent, by seven percent, by giving mm-hmm. some medications, vasodilators, um, protecting the heart with beta blockers. Sometimes we put in devices to make the heart contract all it and at once. What we call like biventricular defibrillators or biventricular pacemakers. But uh, once it's dead and the muscle becomes a scar there is no way you are going to bring it back now I that's just, one of the reasons why your heart can't you you can't get heart cancer right of the heart because your cells don't reproduce in 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 the heart well you can get heart cancer 
Uh, you can. It's it's not a common thing, but you can get heart cancer for sure. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's usually secondary. There are primary ones. The more common ones are um, are uh, benign, uh, benign ones. Uh, but um, the muscle of the heart. I mean, it's it's a muscle that's pumping all the time, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore, once it gets damaged, then your long-term <coughs> pumping capacity is reduced, and that obviously has got detrimental and bad outlook in the future because as we age, uh, we will probably um, need with our heart to be normal. You don't want to be aging and reducing your functional overall functional capacity in doing mm-hmm. things, and then your heart is low as well. You become short of breath on the minimal exertion, etc. So uh, these are important things. I just want us to to mention one thing here while we're talking about it, which I think is very important to the audience who are listening to us here. Um, the symptoms that uh, was. Uh, uh, Bobby and you described Bobby wasn't really 100% blocked. It was like 99 or over 95 at least. And you mentioned that it's scary that um, you get difficult symptoms. Your symptoms also depend on what other diseases you have, what other comorbid conditions you have. For example, the most awful is diabetes. If you are diabetic, I'm diabetic too. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have yeah, I'm type risk. 2 diabetic. Wow. Okay. So that's an additional risk factor. Well, the, the thing is, is that I was, so they, they told me I'm type 2 diabetic, but I was diagnosed when I was 12 years old. Oh, I see. So my thought, I always thought that type 2 diabetes was adult onset diabetes and um, type 1 diabetes is juvenile onset diabetes. So obviously they tested you and they tested your insulin levels, et cetera. That's how they came to that con- con- conclusion, uh, Bobby? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Were you were you overweight when you were young at the age of 12? Um, I mean, I wasn't extremely overweight. I mean, I was chubby, you know what I mean? I, but I, I guess I was overweight for my, age, for my height and, and age at yeah. that time, yeah. So, so you must have had also some form of what we call insulin resistance. So whatever insulin you are producing might not have been um, uh, adequately utilized by your cells. And if they told you if it is type 2, I mean, that's what brings to mind like more like uh, insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Than, they even put me on insulin shots for a while. Right. So probably mm-hmm. I had insulin resistance. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's what I would think. So um, just going back to diabetes here, which uh, for symptoms, uh, what happens in diabetic people is that like diabetes affects almost every part of the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing it does affect um, is the, are the nerves, nerves all over. You find people have got numbness, etc., uh, in their either arms or feet uh, from new neuropathy from the diabetes. But that same thing is also occurring in the nerves around your heart, meaning that the nerves are not functioning as well, meaning that even if you have got a blockage in spite of the pain, well, in spite of the pain that a normal person would feel, you would not feel it because the nerves are not functioning well. And that That's would terrible. really be a misleading, right? So you wouldn't, <coughs> so there you is no way you... Have you heart- 
Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're right. You know, no, you're right. You can have a heart attack and not even feeling it. And we do yeah. get that very unfortunate scenario. You will be having a heart attack and you don't feel it until you become short of breath, meaning your heart has got so badly damaged that you are becoming now short of breath on uh, sometimes at rest. The heart is not even able to provide you enough flow even when you're resting. So it's a very unfortunate situation that you get a heart attack and you don't even know it or don't even feel it. So this is, is the importance of other comorbid conditions, especially diabetes. Right. So what are some things that like we can just tell like ourselves, like the advice you can give us, our listeners, to like just be a little bit more healthy and conscious of your heart health? Absolutely. So um obviously uh and we can talk about this health um, health issues uh regarding how to be healthy but for symptoms while are this topic here if someone has got a family history uh, or even doesn't have a family history has got risk factor even doesn't have a risk factor notices that there is something abnormal regarding the breathing on his chest then that that ought to be checked as soon as possible so uh you uh we spoke uh bobby said that he used to have some pains in his arm etc um so when you feel if you are say diabetic and you are not having symptoms if you f- probably the symptoms would be if the diabetes was so advanced and the nerves are so damaged is that when you exert yourself you'll probably be short of breath much more than you usually would expect so that is another very important uh, symptom that should be checked, like undue shortness of breath. You used to walk, like say, for example, quarter of a block, sorry, half a block or a block or two, and now you can't even go like a quarter of a block. That is a very important symptom. Why did all this happen all of a sudden? Uh, your heart might have been affected to the extent that it's not able to provide you with the function to be able to drive you for short distances of uh uh exertion, for, for, like exertion, exertion right exactly yeah so the change in symptoms acute change in symptoms especially or very acute or very so rapid like, you have to get it uh checked obviously regarding heart health i mean for the cardiovascular risk factors um there are common ones um another common one uh risk factor is high blood pressure High blood pressure, the other name for it, and I keep telling my patients because this sticks to the mind, the other name for it is the silent killer. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, why is it called the silent killer? Because you have got high blood pressure, you don't have symptoms until there is significant damage from it, meaning there is significant damage to your arteries of the body, not only the heart, arteries of the body, there is significant damage to the heart because the heart had we had to deal with such high blood pressure over such a long period of time right Uh, so the heart starts to fail you mentioned the kidneys very very important because also the kidneys when you subject them to high blood pressure for a period of time they get affected so you start getting kidney failure you start getting also reduced blood flow to the to the uh, brain um, so you get symptoms probably um, like many strokes, possible strokes. It affects everything for men, sexual dysfunction. 
can be um, a manifestation erectile dysfunction can be a manifestation also of high blood pressure you have had high blood pressure over such a long period of time so the mechanisms that generally work for uh, your sexual health are not there anymore because of um, high blood pressure so high blood pressure is very important uh, as uh, sorry high blood pressure is very important um it's and i reiterate and say it again so that the uh, listeners or the viewers can uh, really understand what i mean it's called a silent killer uh so that's why you have to have your blood pressure checked regularly and make sure it's controlled uh so what about what what i mean you as a doctor i'm sure you read a lot of studies and you follow trends and stuff like that right mm -hmm. um what what has the trend been since i mean it, are you seeing a obviously i i believe we're seeing an increase in the amount in the amount of people with heart disease correct right well and I, 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 I also have to say that there is more awareness now especially in the era of the internet and mm -hmm. um social media so we're seeing more and more of people understanding this and like podcasts like yours and others uh people are listening now more and more so they're getting more information very easily so now whether it's it's a real increase in the heart disease or whether it's more awareness people presenting um it's not clear to me but it at least we are getting more and more people involved uh and understanding the importance of managing heart disease and cardiovascular disease in health and by cardiovascular i mean the heart and all the uh, arteries in in your body and that would include actually the brain as well if you get of course can get involved can get strokes etc so it's cardiovascular disease um, so this is what i am saying uh, here is that obviously in the current uh, era knowledge is more shareable and easily obtainable what what do you think dr what do you think that Okay, so um, there's various, you know, medicines and things like that, that you can give, like uh, statins to decrease um, cholesterol or or the free cholesterol, metropolol to help regulate the heartbeat, and different blood pressure medicines. But there's a lot of people out there that believe that there's different ways of treating those things without taking medicines and uh, more homeopathic ways in natural ways that that because if i'm if i'm not mistaken isn't there studies that have been done on like statins for instance that it causes damage to the um epithelium is that the lining of the blood vessels is that correct uh, it usually improves it yeah but you, um, okay. uh, i tell you statins are interesting um when i graduated when i was a young doctor and uh, this just shows shows my age even people <laughs> who had who had high cholesterol level we were not allowed to prescribe statins or any other medications because there was no proven value at that time for them and there were increased risk of death from things which were completely unrelated to heart disease some studies showed increased incidence of death from motor vehicle accidents or suicide etc mm -hmm. and it wasn't really until 1995 or until 1996 that the biggest study came on statins it was called the 4s study that was like a landmark study which clearly demonstrated that statins especially 4s 
for s so basically it's a scandinavian study and it they used simvastatin which is one of the oldest statins uh, mm -hmm. it's still available but we don't use it as much because there are much more potent ones than it that was the first study that really showed that there is significant improvement of statins if you take them and subsequent to that lots of other studies showed the similar benefit and now for anyone with any high risk or elevated cholesterol we prescribe statins for them irrespective uh, depending uh, irrespective whether they had a heart attack or not you for sure bobby you must be on a statin there is no doubt about it mm -hmm. uh probably are either on a torvastatin or crestor or something like that yeah i'm on atorvastatin yeah. atorvastatin right absolutely these are the commonest well, two Mm -hmm. But wouldn't you say, I mean, but what what about like um so how do how do statins work exactly? I, from what I've read and what I've been reading on and things like that over the years is the statins are can cause a lot of damage to other parts of your body. This is not true, um uh Bobby. Okay, statin, statin like any other medications mm -hmm. can cause has got side effects. Okay. Um I just uh, I did not have a heart attack. I don't have a family history of heart disease, but my cholesterol has been elevated for some time. So I started myself on a statin, and I have been taking a statin uh, for the last seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. um, and now, if I had any um, significant thought that it might be serious for me, especially that I have not had a cardiac event and my risk is not terrible. I wouldn't have taken it. Um, Bobby, today you might be wanting to cross the road and you know that people, some people who cross the road die, get hit uh, by a car. Are you going to say, yeah, because some people die crossing the road, I'm not going to cross the road? No, it's because <laughs> it's because the, the risk and benefit ratio here is, is, is obvious. There is a very slim risk mm -hmm. of something going wrong but as but there is also a very high chance that nothing is going to go wrong right so statins have got side effects uh especially liver issues and muscle issues this is a commonest too yeah that's what i've read that it can cause um issues my, with the liver your muscles and then myositis right yeah and i have seen people can, who can it also in. cause nerve issues with nerve damage as well so well there are some studies showing that increase possibly increased incidence of dementia etc mm -hmm. uh, uh, listen Bobby, um, i mean if 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 we're going to go into the nitty-gritty and the small percentages or is it possible to cause this or cause that believe me you will not be taking any medication because <laughs> you, right. honestly i mean you take no, any I'm... medication leaflet and you look at the side effects or possible side effects Okay, you find it like pages and pages of possible. Everything is there that has been reported there. But we measure everything by risks and benefits. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, you have got some risks. Yes, take the risk. Uh, today, um, I mean, I'm sure it's a touchy subject, for example, like the COVID vaccine. Okay, it's a new vaccine. It's, uh, there is risks. We don't know because it has happened quickly. Uh, I tell you, I have taken five COVID shots so far, uh, like almost like every six months. Yeah, I mean, because I know that I get exposed to COVID regularly and uh, the benefit of taking it outweighs the risk. And I have vaccinated my whole family, etc. Why, um, why is it? And I don't I don't mean to interrupt you, but I do want to ask you about that because this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. 
why is it that okay so covid obviously the more the mortality rate in the news they're saying it's not as high as they originally thought because um there was incentives financial incentives for hospitals and things like that to not only put people on ventilators um but also to um if they marked it as a COVID death, even if someone had cancer and they were dying from cancer and they came up with COVID and died, they would say it was COVID that killed them. Right. So why is it that if you, if you're not, if a lot of times, if you don't have those comorbidities like diabetes, breathing issues, heart problems and things like that. And if you're, you know, a pretty healthy individual um, between the ages of, you know, one and, and, and 50, let's say, um, your your chances of dying from COVID or getting extreme hospitalized from COVID are very slim, and and a small chance of that. So why is it that they would push this vaccine to be taken so often? If you're taking it every six months, what is the purpose of that? If there's not really a high percentage of mortality from it. So right, I mean, so even if you are not, um, if you, even if your risk is low generally. Or if you are a fit person, which can it still can affect you very seriously, even if you are a fit person. Uh, some people have been like um, marathon runners, and they mm-hmm. got run very badly and died from um, from COVID-related complications at a young age. So it can still happen. Uh, and uh, okay, the risk is not as if you have got other comorbid conditions. Yes, you're right. Uh, but even if it's not going to affect you. Um, the, a lot. You can still be a carrier, and you can infect other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you have got the recent studies saying, even if you have got like minor COVID infection, uh, what we call long uh, COVID, uh, b- basically having symptoms uh, on the long term continues. It doesn't really like goes uh, away easily. So that's a risk. If something starts to happen, and then. Um, it just never goes away. For example, some people get tinnitus, and tinnitus is left on the long term, or other uh, complications, and the complications that usually would last for a week or two is flu or whatever, they persist forever, and that can be changing your life. So um, it has got like personal and also like uh, the greater benefit of um, the whole community and the whole population. Uh, so it's better for everyone to get vaccinated. Now it's it's a matter of choice. Now what 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 you want to do, and it's also a matter of your risk uh, of getting it and getting it seriously. Um, like every vaccine, some people, for example, they don't take the MMR, they don't take MMR vaccine for childhood, or take this or that. Um, yeah, just leaving yourself. Um, more likely to get something serious. A vaccine is not by any means a prevention. It's not going to be, it can lessen. See, that's, that's, that's kind of what turned me off about this vaccine. And I, and I, and just fair, to be honest, I mean, I've taken um, two shots and a booster. Okay. And I don't know if you want to tell them. Oh, yeah. I got the initial two. And the I, booster, I, I, right? You have it. Okay. So, but my, the the thing that concerns me the most about the COVID vaccine is is number one, I don't like the fact that um, our government gave Pfizer and the manufacturers of the vaccine um, kind of impunity against any sort of like uh, 
lawsuits or anything like that. They can't, you know what I mean? So like in order for them to get the vaccine out quickly, one of the biggest fears for like Pfizer was what if we put this vaccine out real quick and then come to find out it causes people to start dying. Um, they gave them impunity or immunity against being any, any sort of like criminal damage or anything like that. So that was one thing. And they've never done that with other vaccines that I've, that I've been aware of. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. not only that, but mm-hmm. then they also, um, put it out there where they don't have to release any of the studies on it for 60 years. What, so, why, why would you say that they're doing that? I, I, I don't think about this. Uh, I don't know about the 60 years, but there are report. There is, uh, the vaccine adverse uh, event reporting system, which is there and it tells us about complications that people are reporting from having uh, side effects and it's open there. Anyone can access it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the VARS, V-A-R-S, Vaccine Adverse Events Reaction. Um, yeah, I've uh, seen yeah. that. And so you can get lots of, um, lots of information about what people are reporting. But um, just to your point, uh, yeah, from a physician's perspective here, it's these were unusual times. All of a sudden, you had this virus. Uh, you cannot wait for the normal period of vaccine to be produced, like testing and testing and testing and reporting. It takes eight to ten years. So everything was put right like on an accelerator in order to try to get things quickly as possible. Now. These companies have done as much as they can uh, to try to get the vaccine, and it worked. Um, there was once people are vaccinated, clearly had less COVID. It's not a complete prevention, and nothing is a complete prevention. No vaccine is a complete prevention at all. Um, so it has really reduced uh, the the incidence of people getting the <coughs> the infection. Now, um, does it have side effects? Of course it does. Uh, I mean, I have seen significant side effects. Um, but in spite of that, I went ahead and I, I had been vaccinated myself and I vaccinated my family. Uh, why did I do that? Is because um, I know that just like what you were talking about, the risks and benefits, um, the risks of not taking it um, is huge. So, uh, so com- the, but the risk, the risks that you're talking about are more for other people than yourself, correct? Uh, that was and, and, and also, I, uh, honestly, with this virus, it keeps mutating. Uh, and now there is a bivalent, which the vaccine, which is the old uh, virus plus the new mutation, etc. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what's what is going to happen uh, regarding uh, if it hits me now. Have I been have been exposed a lot? Have I been infected? And I didn't know my body fought it, or it was because of the vaccine? I don't know. Uh, but I am doing my part in trying to uh, protect myself and protect the others, including protecting my families. In the first few months, one COVID um, pandemic came on. It was very difficult for me to go to the hospital and then come to here to my family who are all quarantined in the house. And I don't know whether I'm going to the hospital and I'm bringing it to them. I really used to wear a face mask here in the house. Because all of them, you remember, there was no school, there was no nothing, no com- communicating, everything was virtual. So they were confined to the house protecting themselves, and I was going out and getting exposed, and there was no vaccine and no nothing. And um, so um, 
I, I don't know whether I got infected. I got exposed almost every day, but whether I got infected and my body just fought it, I don't know. But I was very careful not to give it to others, uh, especially my family who have been confining themselves and trying to protect themselves. Um, now, it's a very difficult uh, discussion um, here, Bobby, uh, regarding this vaccine issue. And this is not only something that came on or started to happen um, after the COVID outbreak. It's The vaccine issue has been going on for a long time uh, regarding uh, other vaccines. And the issue has been really brought up to the top uh, of the discussion, obviously with the accelerated way in which these vaccines have been manufactured. And I mean, yes, uh, you are right. There are risks. We don't know. But why is it? Oh, one second. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Um, That's okay. Why is it though that? So why? I mean, they, I've had to take three vaccines. Okay. And yeah. with the flu vaccine, I only have to take that once a year. Yeah. And would you agree that the flu kills more people than COVID does? The flu kills more people than the maybe previously because there was no COVID, but now there are so many people who died uh, of the of the COVID or not dying or still of the COVID. The hospitals are full of COVID these days in winter. But what, uh, why is it though that the COVID, so when, when the flu, okay, so when COVID first came around, um, there was a significant decrease in the amount of cases that were diagnosed as the flu. And all of a sudden, it's a significant increase in the cases that are diagnosed as COVID. This is correct, yeah. How, so with the knowledge that we have that of the financial incentives of the hospitals and, 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 and you know, doctors and things like that, um, why were those numbers inflated and all of a sudden flu drops dramatically compared to previous years before COVID? So... Flu is not as infectious as COVID. COVID is much more infectious than, mm -hmm. than the flu. I agree. In addition, the flu, because lots of people started to wear the masks and it was like mandated to wear the masks. That's why the flu, um, uh, or we think the flu was much less during in that winter season, uh, of, uh, of 20, um, of 2020. Uh, and possibly 2021 because of the of the masks they have been they have been worn. Um, I can tell you I have got very very bad hay fever when it comes. I've always had very bad allergic rhinitis, which is hay fever. Mm -hmm. uh, since I have been wearing the masks, um, I was shocked even in the uh, in the spring when really the pollen is high, etc., that I wasn't getting symptoms. As then I realized because I'm wearing the masks lot, lots and lots of the time. So I'm not really uh, saying that I'm recommending that to happen, but these masks have really helped us a lot. And I'm not really necessarily shocked about that you're, because, I mean, the, the size of the particles of, of uh, pollen are much larger in microns in the size of, of COVID mm -hmm. or the flu back, you know, the flu or whatever. So yeah. I don't know if I'm not, you know, necessarily shocked that you're you had a decrease in hay fever because you probably weren't breathing in as much pollen at that point. Right. Um, yeah. I, I have it's just I have, it's a scary, it's scary. I mean, just think about 
I don't know how you know. I don't know what how in depth you feel about it, but I, I think that it's just really scary for people that are not doctors. Okay, like people like us. Um, obviously, you have some inside knowledge or insight to things that we don't have access to, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. it's scary to me, and I don't know how you feel about this, Geo, but it's scary to me that the that our the insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies have so much power. When it comes to what can be diagnosed, how you can be diagnosed, what tests can be ran, what medication can be prescribed, and then the fact that they incentivize these hospitals to diagnose me with something financially. Right. And, and let's be honest, every single hospital out there, well, not every single one, but the majority of hospitals are privately owned and they're businesses. They're there to make money, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's what scares me. That's yeah. what really scares me about these things. It's like, yeah, it's like everyday people's health has just become a business. Exactly. It's not about like making people better. It's about abating the symptoms and then like well, I wanna, diagnosing people with something for uh, monetary gain. Now, I want to say this. This is not I, I don't think that doctors like I, I don't think you have. I don't think that you, Dr. Bora, I don't think that you are like diagnosing someone based upon how much money you're going to make. I, I genuinely think that doctors and nurses have best intentions yeah, in mind. They take an oath. They're here to help. But the, pro the problem is, is that I think that it's brought a lot of the thing, the way things have gone since COVID and the way that we've learned how much pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies have control of these things. It's really, really turned off people's opinion on the medical profession. Because so they become more mistrusting. Have you seen that in your patients? Do they, do they become more mistrusting about what you're telling them? Or, Well, this, this um, has been even before COVID, uh, uh, Bob and you. I mean, this is uh, big pharma, the incentives, the hospitals being run as a business. This is all issues um, that has only been brought to the, to the front by the massive in all of a sudden uh infection with the covid mm -hmm. and the hospitalization and the death i mean it has been just accelerated and propelled to the front but these issues were there before but i can also tell you like even in countries that don't have physicians and nurses or hospitals don't have much of an incentive um in treating people for example i can give you the example of the united kingdom in which it's like socialized medicine Mm -hmm. uh, the hospitals don't make extra money. It's all built to the government. The doctors have got fixed salaries, etc. The same issues that we're talking about here are still being discussed over there. So yes, although you know, these are factors that might make people sway one way or another, it's still the same issues have been going on in places in which there are no incentives. It's just uh, really sad that economics and finances and financial gain plays such a role in what you can do as a doctor and what I can do in as America as it, anywhere. Well, but he's saying it's not like that. No, he's saying the same discussions are going on in the United Kingdom, even though it's socialized medicine. They're still okay. okay the government pays for everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. in in that sort of, uh, in, in socialized medicine. So the government over there may tell you, no, you can't put that, you know, they can't get a prosthetic limb because we're not going to pay for it. So you're going to be without a hand or, or no, they don't need, you know, surgery yet. Wait till they're almost dead or something like that. 
because they don't want to pay for it. It all goes back to financial financial gain in economics. And I, I that's terrible. Do you yes. ever feel like your hands are tied? Um, yeah. Sometimes uh, as far as like how you can, you know, what you can do to diagnose someone of, of a heart disease or, or a treatment that you think would work, but insurance won't cover. Do you ever feel that way? There are. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, there are rules and regulations put by insurance companies regarding certain tests or regarding certain medications you can and cannot prescribe. Uh, but that's mostly um, in order to obviously for to make sure that money is not uh, poorly spent. Um, and and I, said, uh, I see your point totally, Bobo's view regarding this issue. But I tell you also as well, uh, here in the States, we are very lucky, uh, extremely lucky, by the way. Um, we have got that luxury of having different options, etc., regarding medications, treatments, different hospitals, etc. Some countries don't have that. Uh, my hands are tied here, yes, sometimes uh, because of insurance. Uh, etc., uh, or because of hospital policies, because obviously they have to look at where the dollar is coming from. Mm-hmm. But um, I also tell you that I know for a fact there is so much abuse of the system. Uh, and there are some people, unfortunately, not everyone has got the same standard regarding their treatment or not every hospital, etc. But I have seen it in other and it's common knowledge, I'm not saying a secret here, there is some abuse of the system, um, also so much tests ordered unnecessarily uh, because of obviously profit, you're keeping the business running, as you mentioned. So uh, you get like the insurance company saying, whoa, whoa, why are we doing this? Um, if you don't fulfill criteria A, B, and C, um, then you can't order that a test or you can't do this or you can't do that so it's a very difficult discussion uh so do you uh, do you think though that i mean you're the expert you're the doctor mm-hmm. you went to school for how many years did you go to school probably 10 years right yeah. yeah you went to school you did all the work you have the knowledge and somebody that's sitting behind a desk that went to has a business degree is telling you how to treat your patient and I, I don't I don't know, man. I just find that extremely this is it's terrifying. Especially if you if you get someone that gets you know, you know that this treatment is gonna help them or this this procedure is definitely gonna help them, and you know that as a medical professional, and because someone in a business a suit is telling you you can't do it, that person may may or may not live. Not to that extent, but yes, it is frustrating and we see it um that sometimes our hands are tied because someone just trying to look at the dollars and not looking at the patient so these things do happen that you mentioned for sure uh and it's a difficult discussion now we don't have a good answer for that uh, because if we see that we are restricted here uh, other countries can be much much more restricted uh uh, in what they can do. Um, in other countries, for example, I give you the other extreme. Here we're talking about two extremes, okay? 
here everything is privatized and um, uh, healthcare, etc. And if you go and look at another extreme, like the United Kingdom, uh, that's another um, extreme in which everything is socialized. Mm-hmm. There, for example, if you have, um, uh, say, for example, heart disease, you might want for you might wait for a few weeks to a few months to see a specialist. Uh, why are we going far away? Look at Canada, just north of the border here. Yep. Yeah, okay. it's say, it's yeah. it's it's very close, and uh, I have got family and relatives in Canada. I mean, when they tell me about what they path through in order to get a test or to see a, a specialist, I mean, it is um, it's really unbelievable. It, it's just simply unbelievable. So, um, although there are issues with the system, the system is not perfect by any means. It needs lots of correction. But I always look and compare and contrast what other systems are like. Uh, So it's basically, you know, kind of sometimes, and I hate to say it, but sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So Right. Right. So in in, in Canada, do you know that they don't even have like, uh, something I came on to learn very recently in the last year or two, that they don't even have, they're not allowed to have uh, private hospitals. Uh, they don't. Yeah, uh, I, I I have heard that because it it's ran everything's ran by the government, right? And the hospitals. And someone told me that they're now debating it in the in the parliament whether they should allow like private healthcare. So, so even if you have got the money there, you won't be able to do or to help yourself. And I asked, so what do these people do who have got the money and who want private care? Exactly. That's exactly the answer I got. They come to they come to America. They come to to America. So, um, in spite of the fact that our system is not um, perfect, um, it's far better than lots of other places, really. And I think that take it from me, from someone who has traveled and trained in different countries, etc. Um, the system is not perfect. But it's much better than lots of other places. This is this is for sure, Bobby. So what what would you say? I mean, what why what, why can't I don't know if you can answer this or not. To be honest with you, but um, more of this be your opinion on this subject. But why would you say that they couldn't do kind of a mixture of both? They could do mm-hmm. socialized medicine, owned, but the hospitals are still ran privately by private corporations. It's just the government can't, covers. The cost and all that, you know, you do see what I'm saying. It's not right. It's not government. Yeah, you can, uh, of course. And um, I don't know really what the discussions are uh, in England. You can't have private hospitals, for example. You have got like um, uh, completely socialized medicine for everyone, but they have got private hospitals. Not everyone goes to it because they are very expensive. Unless you have got specific types of insurances that you pay a lot of money, you won't be able to. In Canada, socialized medicine, you don't have that. Uh, private luxury um so um there are in um healthcare there are some countries that have got um more robust and more um efficient way for healthcare uh going for example to countries in the far east like singapore uh here is switzerland um france um germany so there are different, but the, every system has got its pros and cons here. 
So there are different systems, which is a mixture, etc. Um, now, would that be applicable to us here in the United States with us having um, like 50 states, every state has got its own regulation, etc. Uh, would the federal government be able to control that? Nobody wants the federal government to control things, right? They want uh, everyone to be able to, every state to be able to do its thing and um, to be able to um, make their own decisions. Whether this system there will be applicable to here, I don't know. Uh, but uh, one thing for sure, the system, is, uh, the system is changing slowly regarding how healthcare is going here um, and whether it will uh, change um, uh, significantly from its current situation uh, remains to be uh, seen. Uh, so um, I... I as I said, and I will be the first here to acknowledge here that this is not a perfect system. Uh, uh, and it's sometimes terrible uh, because sometimes if uh, you are poor, you don't have insurance, then there is nothing really, you are not going to get the help. But still, uh, even the people who get treated with the government paying for them, for example, Canada or the United Kingdom, they might need to wait for six months or nine months for a very simple thing. So that's equivalent of not getting treatment either. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I still feel that with what we have, at least uh, we are still better than lots of other countries. And as you just mentioned that people that, uh, and that's what I got the answer I got is that, people have got money north of the border uh, when they get sick and they want to get treated, they come to the States. Um, uh, so still we have got uh, very good, uh, we have got a good system. Well, let me rephrase it. We have got a better system than other countries. Mm-hmm. What? So we've got it better than some. We've got it better got than some. we ways to go. Absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, this is absolutely right. So how often do you, um, getting back on the subject of of heart disease um, and treatments and that sort of thing, I mean, do you, what is the next big thing that's going to happen to, um, to help not only prevent, maybe prevent heart disease, um, but to treat it and ensure that, you know, it gets better. I mean, what, what, what do you see happening in the future? Well, I think that, um, I hope uh, what 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 you are saying is um, <laughs> prevent it. I don't know whether we can prevent it, uh, but we can certainly improve the um, the outcomes, and uh, we can also empower people uh, regarding looking after their heart health. Um, here, uh, heart health, um, especially when it comes to heart health. It's actually like more like um, sick health rather than heart health because more often than not, we see people coming about their heart when they're really sick rather than working on it before it gets into that situation. We are fixing it rather than preventing it. So the big thing that I would like to see happen is that more like preventing it uh, before it happens and trying to keep it that way. Um, looking after 
your heart health or your health in general is actually a part-time job literally uh, it's uh, hard man uh, you, you have you have really to work on it uh, it's not just going to happen by coincidence that uh, you're um, living a good lifestyle for heart health and avoiding the risk factors and looking after your heart and your body you really have to work on it uh, you need to eat the right food okay you need to reduce the risk factors uh, here you need to adhere to an exercise program it's a part-time job it's not it's not like going to happen if we don't control it and if you don't have a strict um, way of trying to uh, uh, make sure that we implement what is needed to prevent and reduce the likelihood of heart disease. So this is what I'm hoping that to increase the awareness and to get the message that you really have to work on your heart health. It is not going to happen automatically. So what 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 would you recommend as far as uh, nutrition goes? I mean, as far as like uh, eating healthy for your heart, is there a specific uh, type of diet like the Mediterranean diet or something like that that you would recommend? Right. So actually, you mentioned it. The Mediterranean diet is one of the best studied diets uh, regarding heart health and health in general, um, and either a Mediterranean diet or a version of the Mediterranean diet. And the Mediterranean diet is nothing more than eating uh, more um, uh, vegetable or or vegetarian style food. You eat meat, but mostly white meat, like fish and chicken. You can still eat uh, red meat, but um, once in a while, uh, you're not going to eat it uh, daily. And the one thing about Mediterranean diet is obviously the olive oil, uh, which contains uh, lots of um, uh, important antioxidants, etc. So, I read that olive oil is best to be consumed like just raw, like not to actually cook with it. I heard that when you heat up olive oil, that that it can actually become bad for you. Is there any truth in that? Uh, it's uh, no. Um, the I think oil, what you're talking about and referring to is like when you cook with olive oil, it, it doesn't when it's heated. Yeah, the taste is not no, as good as like it's not a was, tasting. I I was reading and it said that like olive oil can actually like change and become bad if you overheat it. It can. Yeah. So already you reuse. So olive oil actually is not all olive oil. That's something that people don't really recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, not all olive oils are the same. So the olive oil that you get, which is clear and looks nice, this is, okay, it has got some value, but this is not the olive oil we're talking about. Because okay. olive oil we're talking about is the extra virgin olive oil. You will not mm-hmm. be able to cook to cook with that, uh, Gio. And the reason being that the extra virgin olive oil have got a smell and a taste. Uh, and it has got a sting when you taste it in, in, in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that you will be able to cook with. Uh, the reason being it will change the taste uh, of your food. It's mostly you can apply it as like a dressing to salads, etc. And that is the benefit of the extra virgin olive oil. And what is the difference between olive oil and extra virgin olive oil? By by And by the way, I haven't really gotten 
a real extra virgin olive oil here. I haven't seen it here for a long time, although going to different shops, only some very few shops sometimes import it. And the extra virgin olive oil is also called the cold press or the first press. That's the first press of the oil, which contains most of the nutrients that you need. As I said, it's it has got the very strong taste and smell of the olive. And it has got a sting, really. When you taste it, it really stings your 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 throat. Now, in order to avoid that and to make it more usable, people purify it. Okay, they pass through multiple passes and they purify it, and it becomes like not as thick as it used to be, not as green. That's another thing. Olive oil, the extra volume oil, is green, literally green. Mm-hmm. The purifier. That's all we use here. Is that what you, this this is a healthier this is a healthier the purified one that you use for cooking etc. The benefit of it is, is there, but it's 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 very little compared to the extra virgin olive oil, and therefore this is not what we're talking about that they use in the Mediterranean region. Okay. Uh, we're talking about the first pass, the first pass uh, extra virgin uh, olive oil. So uh, just going ahead with the diet uh salads uh vegetables um extra virgin olive oil white meat uh fish uh and chicken you can eat you can eat you should not say that i'm not going to eat red meat altogether because this is just not possible and it's you should how do you how do you feel about um the carnivore diet have you heard of that Carnivore diet. Is it just mainly mainly meat only? They, that's all they just eat is red, red meat. meat. Like just ground meat, steak, beef only. Liver, but they eat organs too. Like so, they eat like liver, um, heart. This, are, all this is the most unhealthy uh, uh, food. Yeah, that's what yeah, I know. Uh, I I um, I have seen people really that eat the three the three meals are all like meat. Honestly, mm-hmm. I I cannot do that, and I can I, I okay, actually yeah, want to try I get so turned off by meat if I eat it like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I cannot eat it for more than, uh, and, and I was forced in some situations before in my life that that was the only food provided like three times a day. And I just couldn't do it after the, the second day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people, that's to them, that's how they live. I was once put in like what you call hardship area to serve under uh, privileged people in a part of Africa. And I got like um, some, um, some tribes really uh, wanted to uh, show me their best food, etc. It was great uh-huh. of them, and I was very appreciative. And to them, that's that awesome. Was, I would, I would love to do something like that. That would be awesome. Yeah, to experience but, that. I mean, that that had to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it 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 was very fulfilling to serve under privilege and under uh, serve people. So, what what um what specific like what tribes were you um what tribes were you able to visit? So these are um there are different uh, tribes and um that was in in the border really with Ethiopia and uh, southern Sudan or Sudan uh, was um there as a system that's uh you have to go and when you graduate as a new graduate you have to serve tribes in which there are no really like proper roads or anything which are isolated they don't have doctors so mm-hmm. as, pa- as part of the service is that you have to go and uh, for a year or so 
Oh, okay. So like the doctor abroad program type of deal is that? It's that kind it of what a, you're we used to call it as a hardship year. Okay, it's really hardship. You you are going to um, not proper hospitals like mm-hmm. the hospital is just like a house has got some basic stuff, a few beds. Yeah, really hardship because these are people which are cut off living in desert areas, right? Uh, and you have to provide healthcare for these people. Uh, uh, and part of that was that like some people, uh, some of these people that you serve, uh, they want to show their appreciation. And that's when I start to experience like three times a day meat. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like them. bringing you meals. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and that was just like, it was very appreciated from them that the generosity I was showing. But believe me, after the second day, you just can't eat it. You, you got to think too, like when they, because that, I mean, imagine how much, not only how much work went into getting that meat, you know what I mean? Because they hunt yeah. that meat. No, no, I understand. So think about that and, and and how important that is to a tribe of 60 people. Yeah, yeah for sure. That, you know what I mean? Like, so, so you can't, you can't say, no, I'm not going to eat your food. You <laughs> yeah. know, you have to take it because if not, it's, you know. Yeah, but, and I... I started to say, can you can you have some uh, v- v- vegetables here? <laughs> <As well. laughs> right, right. So they they um. I was watching. I don't know if you've ever seen, but there's a guy on YouTube. Um, it's called the Best Ever Re- um, Food Review Show. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was in a at a tribe. I want to say in Sudan. I think it was Sudan, the Sudanese tribe. Okay. And um. One of the things that they like to do is they like to take their meat and they cut the heart and the liver up and they dip it in the bile. This is true, yeah. In, and then dip it in blood and eat it. No, and not 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 dip it. I don't know about that tribe, but in that part of the world, uh, cutting mm-hmm. the raw liver and organs and with onions and bile, yes, you're right. Not blood. Not, well, this, I don't know. this specific tribe... They were dipping it, they would dip it into the bile, and it was still the bile that was in the stomach of the whatever animal it was. They were the eating. sheep or something, yeah. They, yeah, they dipped it down in the bile and then they dipped it in the blood too, and then they right, ate okay. it. But I mean, I, I tried dipping it in the bile and eating it as you part did. of the I did, yeah. Uh, wow, but uh, <laughs> but but you're a better but man blood, than me, buddy. And I and, and I tell you, uh, in lots of parts of that part of the world, this is a very common thing. Uh, I mean, what, obviously, what did that taste like? How I mean, it had to be sour tasting. Uh, it, bile is sour, right? Yeah, yeah. you are you are opposite, but but you don't. It's a little bile. You don't put a lot of it mm-hmm. uh, uh, of of the of the bile. Onions. Hey, look, man, a little the, even culture. Do, you got to try it if you're there, Doc. A little bit of bile is too much bile for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of bile, no matter what it is. So. But like, but but be in there if you're not going to try it. But right. you know, when you are being offered something like that, yeah, you cannot just say, "I'm not going to eat your food." You have to. Be no, yeah, right. That's and exactly this, and these are people too. who are eating that food, so you can't really. Um, they will they will think that you are being very um, unappreciative of their uh, culture, etc. Yeah, uh, uh, you so, you have to. I mean, there has to be some sort of um, something behind. I mean, if you think about it, like uh, wolves when they tear open a carcass, the first thing that they'll eat is the liver. Okay, because it's the most nutrient, the most nutrient dense. So, but here in here in the states, we look at things. Most people look at things like liver and onions. That's nasty. You know what I mean? Or like we we think about it that way. But you got there's got to be some sort of health benefit. 
especially with these tribes that are eating this liver and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's tribes in Africa where the women, because the women are prepping the food, they get first dibs on whatever they pit and want to choose. Mm -hmm. And it's the always the liver and the heart that they choose first. And then the men get to choose what they want. It's just, it's, how do you feel about that? Should, is there a health benefit to eating liver on a, on a regular basis? On a regular basis? No. Uh, yes, eating <laughs> eating liver has got. I mean, obviously, I've got lots of good stuff in it: uh, iron, um, proteins, etc. On a regular basis, no. Um, so, if you yes, eat liver I, once a week, is that not a good thing? If you eat it just once a week with reasonable amount, then that's fine. Uh, the, the total amount of red meat you should eat in 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 a week is equivalent to like a ten ounce, maybe twelve ounce steak. That's the whole amount of red meat you should eat in a week. Just that's it. You should you shouldn't be eating more than that at all. So when you when you talk about red meat though, are you talking about like like beef, um, mm-hmm. pork, beef, lamb, pork is mm-hmm. the red meat? Yeah. Now let me ask you this though: What about um, like elk, venison, um, those types of meats? Because are those technically considered red meats? Yeah, red meat. Because they're they're extremely lean. Even even some of them are even leaner than than uh, chicken. Any kind of bovine hoofed animal is considered red meat, correct? So I mean, the white meats are talking about here, uh, like chicken and chicken uh, and and fish. That's that's what Everything these. Everything else is red. Meat. Yeah, there's a guy on TikTok. Are you on TikTok, Doctor Bola? Uh, I am, but I don't use it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do me a favor. Next time you're on TikTok, because we're we're actually on TikTok as well. So if you after we get off here, after we uh, stop recording, I want to get all that information so we can follow each other. Yeah. Um, there's a guy on there. Have you ever heard of the Liver King? The Liver what? Liver, liver King. King? No. Okay, look him up. That guy. That That's he the guy eats, who eats li- all kinds of he, liver. Right? He eats liver. He eats nothing but liver, red meat, and testicles. That's testicles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't see how he does. Uh, this is this is too much. Uh, um, I think this is too much red meat. Okay, uh, that's the testicles is also <laughs> part. You think? <laughs> the, the testicles actually part of also that uh, tribe's um, meal. Uh, they used to cut the testicles and eat them. So these are things that in certain part of the world that's what they they eat. So he said you said he eats liver, heart, and testicles. Is that what it is? He well, he eats red meat, strictly red, red meat. meat. That's all he eats, and, and the only vegetable he'll eat is um like potatoes. That's that's three meals, two or three times a day. Now I will tell you this too. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that's all he eats every single day. Meat and potatoes. So I will tell you this is, and he eats a lot of bone marrow. Um, but I will tell you this as well. So this guy, if you look at him, he is unnaturally jacked, like. The muscle, like you couldn't do that. Well, come to, and he was always under, and he's got millions of followers on YouTube um, and TikTok. And he always lived by the nine ancestral tenants or whatever, right? Well, come to find out, this guy's been taking steroids, like $10,000 a month worth of steroids for like four years. And um, it's just crazy to me. You know what I mean? I was going to tell you. That's terrible because he's, he's, projecting that his body is the way it is because of the diet he eats he always said on podcast doctors telling us right now that that's terrible for you and then he's jacking himself up with steroids to get big and look healthy and you got to think too if you tell someone so you you take a man that's in a state of um, depression right Mm -hmm. 
and they're not unhappy with their body they're unhappy with their health and they're looking at this guy and they're like and this guy's telling me telling you if you follow this diet you eat these things you do these these workouts you can look like me okay and me or you are depressed and we're looking at this guy and we're doing all this we're on the verge of suicide at one point <laughs> because of how you know what i mean no i get it so then we look at him and we're like oh i'm not i'm doing all this i'm eating these balls these bull balls and these testicles <laughs> and nothing's happening yeah you're just about what pushing that, yourself straight towards a heart attack yeah, like, think about ow. what that does to your psyche you know what i mean with with um it, it's just wrong for him to lie about that to people and that you know if he wants to live that way i'm cool with it you know what i mean if you want to eat what you want to eat go ahead but don't tell me that you can achieve the results that you have by eating that way and don't and then tell me you're not taking steroids. Yeah, I was gonna say don't leave out the fact, oh, by the way, I'm ten thousand dollars worth of steroids yeah. in my body. Yes. Too. Yeah. Like that that's so, a big part of this diet that yes, I eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby, I was going to tell you all these people that I have seen and they have been eating all this stuff in these remote areas I was telling you about, none of them. Uh, fulfills the description you're telling me about being jacked up or anything like that. None of them. I got to pull this guy up. Let me see if I can pull him up real quick here. I want. He's like they are not jacked. No, they are not true at all. At all, they are not. Let so, me uh, let me see if I can share my screen with you because I want you to see this guy. Yeah. So there, either this person does lots of uh, strength exercises or takes lots of steroids. Yes, I believe that then. But not just eating this stuff because I have lived, well, I have been with people who eat very similar stuff to what you are saying, and none of them fulfills that description at all. Are you, are you able to see our screen right now? Uh, you said started screen sharing. Yeah, but I don't see anything different. Okay. I mean, I don't see. Did you open a page that you are sharing? Trying to share <laughs> right now. Yeah. Oh, now, now, now I see it. Yeah. Now, now okay. I see your, your screen. Look at this guy. <laughs> look at this guy no 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 absolutely <laughs> look, look. <laughs> no immediately like uh, look at this guy there's right. no way that that's natural yeah look at his abs it's like even yeah. if even if he wasn't on steroids to be that big like that's all he would have to do is work out and eat yeah. red meat like yeah constantly the, the crazy part no no even that because there are people like uh paul destopino he does follow the carnivore diet and he he tests his blood and shows people i'm not on steroids mm. and he's jacked but not like this guy okay this guy sits down and his abs don't change so what you, <laughs> you can what also I mean? google here uh uh is that if you can google like tribes that eat liver or something like that uh and see how they look and you can compare and contrast it thrives in Africa that that eat liver or suffer uh, raw liver or something like that. raw raw okay yeah oh, we can't put raw yeah and let's see let's see what what's going to show you I just need pictures maybe go to images nope still over King okay you see the people in the middle that eat it has a look yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. This is, this not jacked. Yeah, they're not jacked at all. Here's the you know? here's the one I was telling you about the guys that um always oh, in Kenya. These are the ones that dip the liver the and the bile and then the blood right here. Uh, yeah, and that's the I guy mean, Sonny that I was telling you about. Yeah, I believe it, but yeah, I, this is not a common thing. 
no. maybe certain no. tribes do that, but this is not a common thing. But I uh, mean, what what is the what is the um, I don't know if you know right off the top of your head, but what is the the um, how, how much is there a lot of heart disease in these tribes at all? Is there any heart disease? Um, I'm sure there is uh, lots of heart disease in these people. Um, these people, you don't have statistics on in them because they don't really lend themselves very easily to being followed, etc. They are in the desert. But uh, I'll be shocked if they don't have significant heart disease. And these people, usually, they don't live long. Very few of them live long. Because of the hardship they live uh, in and, uh, and the environment, it's a very tough life. But this is their way of, of life. Um, that's the only way that, that they know. These people mm-hmm. struggle for everything. You know, to get water, you have to walk for long distances to get it, etc. It's a very tough life. Yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of, like, a lot of, um, Amer- especially Americans, you know, or people that are living in um, first world countries don't understand the life that those those types of tribes live or these people live in other countries like it's a lot of people are like oh that's just a simple life it's so simple you don't have to worry about bills you don't have to worry about car payments or or, you know school going to school and all that i'm telling you right now i'd rather live the life that i'm living with with the hardships that i have than the hardships that they have any day like one like you said they have to travel miles for water like and that's one way I then you gotta carry it. my hose and not have to worry about exactly. a damn lion then you have to ca- you know carry it back not to mention like he said they live a hard life i'm sure the elements like they don't have structure like you know what i'm saying like we do they don't they have access to the wild animals like for the most part we don't have wild animals that attack people like, right you know what mm-hmm. i mean we've pretty much nullified that for the most part yeah it happens at random but those are in like the mountainous areas where we still let the animals live like they might have to deal with that nightly like you know yeah. animals mm-hmm. coming to right. see what's going on over there right after they ate dinner when because like you said they eat raw liver animals eat raw liver so it's like they smell that they're coming to see what's going on right you know what I mean? right yeah <laughs> i mean I, i've day. been i've been camping before and we were it was in a um, shawnee national forest here up in ohio mm-hmm. and um we were sleeping and we backpacked into the woods with just the stuff on our back. We didn't have tents or anything like that, but we brought tarps. So we made our own tent and I was laying there and coyotes literally came into our camp and were sniffing the, the tarp on my head, hitting me in the head like this with their noses. It was craziest thing and scariest thing at the same time I've ever dealt with. Could you imagine dealing with that on a daily basis? The closest I've ever been to water that could kill me was I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, a bear, a bear. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, not to say it, I'm still terrified of a bear that close. I mean, but it couldn't get to us. It would have had to come around and get onto the porch. But by all means, like, like, and people feed them, which they shouldn't. But imagine being out there with a spear in a a tiger. You know what I mean? That's your only thing you have, yeah? Right, right. They're actually, I don't know if you, how how into, like, world history and that you are, um, Doc, but Mm -hmm. they are actually, um, reintroducing woolly mammoths have you heard about that yeah introducing what sort again woolly mammoths in russia yeah in siberia or siberia that's russia okay did you hear about that no i didn't yeah so they actually have plans and this the first woolly mammoth is planned to be reborn in 2024 
So they're introducing mammoth DNA into an Indian elephant. Yep. And then they're going to put that embryo into a female Indian elephant and let her gestate 24 months. I, I actually heard though, that they're creating a false womb to just uh, to for the gestation. The articles period. that I read all said that they Did were they? gonna take the Indian elephant embryo and then reintroduce it in like in vitro, really put it in a female Indian elephant and let her give birth to it. And then wow. they were gonna introduce it into I can't say the name because it's in Russian. Sorry, right. I don't want to butcher their language, but into some national park that they have <laughs> in Russia or Siberia. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they were going to reintroduce that, and it's their plan is to have sixty thousand of them by within ten years, and it's like supposed six, to help the carbon footprint up there by reintroducing. Yeah, yeah, but how do you, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, because there's a reason why they're gone; they're extinct. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, and what what hunted mammoths back then, and what would stop them from like overbreeding now? Us yeah. is the only thing I can. I mean, think well, of. it's like so you're gonna have a national park, but then you're just gonna watch them and be like, well, "Don't overbreed." We're gonna you know how the civilization is, and human oh. beings are are some of the most evil creatures on the planet, dude. So you know damn well <laughs> that they're so, gonna be like, "Let you go over there and hunt woolly mammoths on an expedition for ten thousand dollars or something." You know. So my question was, why are they doing this? And you said because of the. They want to repopulate. Okay, so they have um, what is that called when they reintroduce species into an environment? It's it, they're trying to bring. They're I know they're trying to reduce the carbon footprint. I don't know how the woolly mammoths are going to do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't get. But they're they're doing. They, very vague. They've got a project in Colorado that they're reintroducing the wolf because the wolf went on basically went extinct in Colorado, um, but they're reintroducing wolves to the environment there. Um, I don't know exactly why they're doing the woolly mammoth. So I don't, I really, I don't understand it. Like, but the crazy part about that is, is what's stopping them from doing a T-Rex or a Velociraptor? You know what I mean? <laughs> they're not. Are we doing, are we going to Jurassic Park? I said Park? that when we talked about it, I was like, this is just the new Jurassic Park. It's like, they're going to start with woolly mammoths. Next Tuesday, it'll be a T-Rex. Like, or a pterodactyl. Yeah. Like, that's terrifying. We're going to put Can a T-Rex in the middle of Hollywood. Like, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. Do, do you ever look into anything like that? Doc? Well, uh, I've got uh, boys who always come to me with interesting things and interesting facts. And uh, so they keep, I not intentionally, I keep looking into that, but uh, <laughs> I've got my, my kids who come and show me strange things all the time. Uh, but I, they haven't shown me that. So you got to look it up, man. Yeah. You don't have to figure cut it, Doc. You can just be like, hell no, I don't research. Like <laughs> I'm going to say yeah, I want really to be as far away from that mammoth as possible. You know, I don't want to be any, anywhere right. near it. <laughs> like, is that a woolly mammoth? Yep. Like, I'm going home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine that thing, how big it is? I mean, it steps on you. Well, you. So in the article I read, that so the Indian elephant is the smaller of the elephants. The African elephant is the bigger one. And they chose to use the Indian elephant to kind of control the size factor of it. Okay. But I feel like. But eventually it's going to muster. That's what I was saying. So it's like once you breed those first few, like they breed a couple females, a couple males, and then they start breeding. I feel like the size will come back. Like yeah, they'll exactly. start getting bigger in their own natural yeah. habitat. Like, well, as natural as we can make it for them. Like, there's you know, no natural predator either. Like That's what said. I was saying. That's there's what nothing. Like Whatever you used said. to hunt them isn't around anymore. Right. Saber two tigers. Could you imagine them bringing that thing back? No, that would that'd be terrible. That's probably the only thing that hunted a woolly mammoth. <laughs> right? 
You know what else scares me too is is when they find these viruses that are buried in Siberia, and they find these like under mile or under feet, hundreds of feet of ice, and then they try to bring these viruses back. Why are you doing that? I think they do that though because there's possibilities to find cures to other things. I understand, but what if they bring back the plague or something? I know, you know like I mean? or some Does plague that... that wiped out something that we how... never knew about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How, what do you feel about that, Doc? I mean, do you? Yeah, what, how, I, I, I feel that. I feel that they look at this is to try to discover uh, first of all to learn more about the natural history of viruses and what I've been having, but also the dangerous part of it, as you just mentioned. You can bring up very uh, dangerous viruses. And one thing they also go intentionally, I feel that they look at is that whether this at one stake can be used like a weapon or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bio-warfare. Warfare, right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you think about the COVID virus uh, and how it started and how um, it has involved the whole world, I mean, it's it's enough to scare you not to um try to wake up or try to discover viruses that haven't we haven't learned about until now i I just don't even like the fact that we even experiment with making viruses like i i don't gain of action research and all that i just don't i don't i don't know man i don't don't like that (laughs) well it's 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 science um uh trying to figure out Lots of things, maybe trying to figure out how to control them at the end and how to treat them. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, that's okay. Uh, uh, but certainly it has got its risks. I mean, we have got now the obvious risk has been going on for like almost three years now, the COVID. Um, that, do you think that the COVID was, was man-made in a lab? What, what, and, and yeah, I mean, it, like it, you're not it, a viral. Yeah, I, I anything, mean... So. Let's put, I'm sure this is a, a topic that is very difficult for everyone, but let me put it just that, that way and very simply and put it to rest. Is that that virus originated in one place in where there is a virus lab? Uh, and, <laughs> and it involves yeah. that, <laughs> in, <laughs> that area. So. Lisa, let them put it to bed. It yeah, was created so, in a lab so, in I mean, one spot. You, you, you can draw your own conclusions about, about what happened, you right? know? Yeah, it's I mean, just it's crazy to me that people can actually think or deny that. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, Doc. Like a lot of people call me a conspiracy theorist because I have a lot of, of strong opinions on, um, you know, the way things are ran, the government, and all this kind of stuff. And but I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of the things that I said was going to happen have started happening, and there are more and more of the news is coming out every day about this stuff. So I just live in a space where I want to always assume like bad things happen no i don't want to always assume the worst i feel like that's going to make me live in a perpetual state of fear i want to live where like i do live where i feel like they had good intentions and maybe just something bad happened you know what i'm saying like you can be doing research going down a path towards good and end up with a bad result like experiments like have you seen the world the movie world war z Yes. Have you seen that, Doc? No, no, I haven't. No. Okay, it's a zombie movie, so no, no, I just no. don't want that to happen. But that movie is a prime <laughs> example of what I'm talking about. Right. In that movie, sickness was the cure. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like the viruses that's were what I, the cure. That's what I, I said. Mean, I think a lot of, like, and I think that most medical professionals have the best intention, right? 
most scientists have the best intentions. I like to I like to believe that. Um, there's yeah. some out there that don't. You know what I mean? So I, I think, and my mom was a nurse for 30, 35 years. She was a um, a, a hospice nurse, and okay. I know that she went into what she was doing to help people, not because of the money you can make. Because let's be honest, I mean, you can make a ton of money as a doctor, right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like if you go into that type of field, you shouldn't go in it just because you want to make money. Of course. Yeah. Right? I, 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 I honestly, I don't think that research in viruses brings a lot of money either. Um, I think it's... spending money. <laughs> huh? That's yeah, yeah. all the spending money. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Research generally doesn't bring money. It eats money. Uh, and people who do research generally, they don't... Um, uh, uh make make a lot of money so whatever they were doing it was i i tend to agree with you it was probably something went wrong mm-hmm. they were doing it for i mean they wouldn't be doing it in the middle of that place thinking okay. that's going to kill them or kill do, you, do you think they were developing it for bio warfare I, I i really don't know and I, I, I really you don't think so i uh, no no i don't know I, I, I don't know uh, oh, okay, uh, I, I don't want to speculate about what they're doing, but it's <coughs> that that was the research lab. So they were researching something. Mm-hmm. I, what what they were researching, what they were doing, I don't know. So um, like going back to like finding the stuff in the ice, like the the viruses and whatnot. What if they found some eight thousand year old virus that destroyed other virus? You know what I'm or saying? Cures like, cancer. Well, that's what I'm saying. But or or that, like you know, what I'm saying like that's. I feel like that's. I the think place that's why. that they're going for, like, they're not going to, I just to, like, don't like the fact that they're doing it. Yes, like, <laughs> could they find it, and then they could make some kind of bioweapon out of it? Probably eight times out of ten, yes. It's like, is that their original goal? I I want to think no. Well, let's think about it like this. The guy that invented nuclear weapons, or the atomic bomb, didn't do it to make it as a weapon. Robert yeah. Oppenheimer? Yep. He felt horrible after it was invented after he said he wished he would have never invented that now what that's thinking well I mean, usually yeah, i feel like that's what i'm saying so you like take you discovered you take, something and then it got used in the worst possible way but as a scientist and you're unlocking a virus that's ten thousand years old and that becomes weaponized you know i i don't know it's just crazy to me some of the stuff that they're doing out there is just nuts you know it is nuts but it's like at the same time it's like the possibility for good like you gotta sometimes you just gotta take the risk for the possible reward that's exactly like what doc said yeah, earlier about the, like virus, vaccine, the medicines yeah, yeah. That is, vaccines like there's almost always going to be side effects or possible things that can go wrong what, but would you rather not cross the street you know what, yeah. I mean? like, what, what do you think doc i wanted to get your opinion i think Gio and i both wanted to talk to you about this so in our some of the things that we've researched um over the last three years, there's been a uh, what a seventeen hundred percent increase. We'll just we won't even say a direct number. We're just going to say a significant increase in young people having and uh, athletes and y- young athletes, healthy so like considerably healthy people. That's what it was. So it was seven. There's seventeen hundred and one, um, pretty healthy athletes that have had cardiovascular events over the past three or two years. Okay. And from 1964 until 1978, it was half that number. 
why why do you think that all of a sudden we're seeing such a large increase in these cardiovascular events like uh what's i don't know do you watch football yeah of course yeah did you see dot um damar hamlin a couple weeks ago he passed out here in cincinnati so damar hamlin um let me start with that uh, uh and then i can speculate or i can't i think why are the numbers are higher what happened to damar hamlin is very is very well recognized well recognized in the field of cardiology uh it's called uh comotus cordis and basically it's a latin word which translates to irritable heart that's all what it is and um, it happens not only in football but it happens in other sports here in the us it's football baseball lacrosse uh these are all like sports that can cause you to have an event like what happened to uh damar now um what happens is that you have to hit the heart in a particular period of it's what we call depolarization the time in which it starts to relax and it has to be within 20 to 40 milliseconds of the start of that cycle wow. if you hit the heart or electrify the heart in that part you put it into what we call ventricular fibrillation and that's cardiac arrest and instead of the heart pumping normally squeezing like this it starts to quiver and by quivering it's not pumping uh blood everywhere it is the blood is not circulating and so um so it puts you in a specific arrhythmia is that correct it puts you in, yeah that is ventricular the arrhythmia is known as ventricular fibrillation and provided that you get help very quickly you should be uh rescued uh, your outcome should be excellent provided you don't have underlying disease it was clear what happened uh, over there that he was hit and immediately after that he stood up and then he fell back and that's because his circulation just ceased and then he collapsed immediately there was no circulation going on and that is a very well recognized in cardiology actually in the cardiac cast lab when we try sometimes to test defibrillators that we implant we shock people and patients intentionally to put them into ventricular fibrillation to test the device in that particular part or timing of the cardiac cycle to induce ventricular fibrillation and we almost always induce it by hitting it in that particular time and so you can is, see that on the um when you're doing like an ekg you can see that in the wavelengths of the heart right to know yeah, when in, it's in ventricular happen. ventricular fibrillation is basically completely chaotic contractions of the heart basically there's no contraction and it's literally quivering the heart is bit literally quivering and okay. there's no pumping so the pumping action stops and starts the heart starts just to shake and quivers and therefore this is and that's a type of cardiac arrest because the heart is not pumping the circulation around so this is a very well recognized what happened to him is a very well recognized cardiac event but do, um, if you look back though do you remember when it happened i said i said that that's what it looked like mm. yeah but my so we i think i think you're right about the more handling but why is it that so, so soccer for instance there's a lot of soccer players that are falling out haven't going into cardiac arrest there's a lot of young athletes that are going into cardiac arrest and the increase is is crazy significant compared to the previous three years i mean what so why do you think that is 
Uh, I think we are seeing more and more because we are now finding more and more of them. Everything is televised and we are seeing there was this soccer player, I think he was Danish about a year ago or so. He was in the field and he collapsed. Now that's completely different what happened to him to what happened to uh, Damar here because that player was wasn't doing anything. He was standing on the side and then he collapsed. So that's a completely different mechanism. So when you, the causes for people, young athletes going into um, cardiac arrest, it's either you have got an underlying congenital heart disease or you get hit uh, like uh, commotion mortis, just like uh, what has happened to Damar. So these are the two commonest causes for cardiac arrest in um, in athletes. So um, in uh, football or any other sport, um, if you have got underlying congenital heart disease, and that's what we test for, I'm sure, just like at, at your school when you want to play sports, they give you the form to complete by, by your physicians to saying that you are fit to play, etc. That's true, that's significant congenital disease that can put you into cardiac arrest, uh, etc. Uh, so this is a different group. And then there is the other group, just you go into cardiac arrest when you are hit. And um, there is a registry that was established here in the US in 1995. Uh, the commodity um, cortis um, registry. And it gave us a lot of insight about sports that provoke this type of cardiac arrest. And although it's a US registry, but there has been cases included from other parts of the world. It showed us that the mean age of this cardiac arrest occurring in these athletes is about 15 years of age, the mean age. Only, wow. only 15, 15, one five, age. 15, one five. Only, um, I think under 10%, like 9% or 8% of individuals were above the age of 25. Okay, only. And it also, although it was a US registry, there was some case involved from other parts of the world. And it gave us also an insight about what sports, um, are um, involved in it. here in the US. Also, hockey is is another in Canada. Uh, hockey is another uh, sport. That I think it's, I mean, if, we, if we're thinking about it, it's because these are high impact sports. But soccer exactly. is not a high impact sport. That's not necessarily true. Not not as much as football and hockey and base, even baseball. I mean, but they like slide like they go to the ground what, what, a lot. That's we are talking about football soccer. You are talking about yeah. Yeah, no, no. Remember soccer? They kick the ball, and sometimes it hits you right in the chest. Yeah, so I mean, hit by the ball, like slide just, tackling. They hit the ground, like I just yeah, think so there's going to be body contact. But. I'm just trying to figure out though why the increase since COVID started. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it is. There's COVID. a significant increase. No, in it's, the it's amount not, of athletes. So if you look at it, Bobby, I mean, uh, what happened to the Damar is. It's very obvious. I think that's pretty cut and dry. What happened? Yeah, it's cut and I dry. Think... Exactly. He was hit. He was right. hit, and it, and and he and, and he collapsed. But our awareness now in cardiac disease in general and sports, etc., is and social media, the explosion of social media and the use for it for 
reporting, etc., is much much higher. Um, this is not related to uh, to. Okay, so in COVID, you can get cardiac disease as well, but there and usually can get myocarditis, inflammation of the muscle right, of, yeah. of the heart. But in the great majority of cases that we have seen, almost all of them recover. A very few of them, very few, like numbers, individual numbers, um, ever needed intensive care therapy for this. And usually with the resolution of the inflammation, people go back to normal. And also now we're using um, advanced imaging techniques like cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, cardiac MRI. And this can detect inflammation in the heart much more easily than, for example, doing an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound. An ultrasound, it has to be really like advanced and the heart has to weaken before you can test it. With a cardiac MRI, you can diagnose myocarditis mm-hmm. even when your ejection fraction is normal. When there's so they, that shows the thickness of your heart, correct? Thickness and the inflammation, whether there is right. inflammation or not. It can detect it, that there is inflammation going on. So now we're saying to diagnose people with myocarditis with normal ejection fraction, okay? And before that, we did not used to do that. Now, also, our testing abilities like doing blood tests, specific blood tests called cardiac troponins. Uh, also, this is also like an improvement in science as we're going on. Uh, did you say troponin? Troponin, right. Isn't that the, the marker that they check for to see if you had a heart attack? Absolutely. It's the same marker. And now we're getting into what we call high sensitivity cardiac troponin. So even like very, very, very subtle fractions, it can be detected. So, so it's more in depth. It, it's a higher accuracy than the old tests were. Absolutely. Much higher accuracy. And the same thing that happens when you have a heart attack, you know, cells die. When mm-hmm. you have got inflammation, this troponin leaks into the blood. So we can detect it. So you can have this detection saying, okay, we have got like some abnormal EKG findings with someone who had COVID and then the troponin is high sensitivity troponin is elevated. It's myocarditis. So our ability to diagnose this disease has become uh, much more accurate over the years. Things that we did not have 10 or 20 years ago. And now almost everyone who was suspected with myocarditis due to COVID goes and have a cardiac MRI and it can tell us whether there's ongoing inflammation or not. This we did not used to do before. So there are advances in science here in which making us label uh, cases or diagnose cases that we were not able to diagnose um, in the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, so I, I see what you're saying. I, I just think my personal opinion, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I really do think over the next 10 years, we're going to really start seeing a lot of um, things coming out about COVID and the COVID vaccine that are not apparent at this time. I really do. It, I mean, it, I feel it, like Go ahead, Doc. Yeah, I don't know what I was saying. It is possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. we can't we can't tell. What what do you think you? But well, I was like, I agree with Bobby, but I am falling back to what you said earlier because you said it was fast tracked. It was put on an accelerated pace because for for the possible good that it could do. So yes, there's going to be more side effects that are going to pop up over the next eight to ten years. Like the doc said, he said that's how long these trials go before they normally would introduce a vaccine to the public anyway. So it's like, as of right now, it's just like, is it doing more good 
versus the possibility of the deaths that we could experience over the next eight to 10 years. I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't like the fact, like I said, I don't like the fact that they were given impunity for any sort of oh, um, class action lawsuit or anything, because that gives the pharmaceutical company the full go ahead to do what put whatever they want in there without any 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 um consequences. Without, I, I don't like that. Without would it be considered the normal proper testing, dude? America, I agree. The United States, uh, we're one of two countries, and I can't remember what the other country is. I think Switzerland. 75% of the ads that you see on TV are pharmaceutical companies advertising. 75%. So this is interesting because um, there, I think there are only two or three, maybe four countries in the whole world that you advertise for pharmaceutical products. This is not allowed in lots of other countries. Right, exactly. I, uh, I think in the United States, if I remember correctly, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, I mean, it's just like very few countries in the world are, are, allow that, um, allow ads for medications, etc. And that uh, makes sense because, like you said, a lot of countries have social medicine where the government decides what medicines get used anyway. Yeah, but even in <clears throat> even in like uh, Switzerland, did, Doc, didn't you say Switzerland has socialized medicine? Um, I don't think he mentioned. Uh, I, 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 I think I think it's it's uh, it's insurance based. In, in in Switzerland, so I just don't. I, I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's crazy. That so like, so, medicine. but that goes back to what mm -hmm. I was saying though about pharmaceutical companies and and uh, insurance companies controlling everything. Okay, mm -hmm. you take where you get your news. Where do you watch the news at all, Doc? Yeah, of course. Yeah. What what channel? When you watch the news, what do you turn on? Like national uh, news. Uh, for national news, actually, I look at multiple sources because I like to have everyone's. Uh, but are opinion. you looking at like Fox News, CNN? I do look at Fox and I do also look at CNN. Okay. Uh, so so my point is though, is if you think about it, they're the majority of their ad revenue is coming from pharmaceutical soon. Wow. Pharmaceutical. Pharmaceutical. There goes my teeth problem. <laughs> from pharmaceutical. I trip over my lips sometimes. I'm sorry. That's um okay. but um the majority of their ad spend is from pharmaceutical companies. So you there? We lose him. Hello. Are oh, you, yeah, still there? oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm no, sorry. No. I don't. I don't know what happened there. Um. Anyways, the majority of their ad spend comes from pharmaceutical companies. So, do you really think that CNN, Fox News, all these major um, uh, corporate sponsored um, news outlets are really going to tell you the truth about some of these medicines and things like that? Because you got to think about like CNN. Okay, they're viewership has gone down like 33% since Donald Trump's been out of office, right? Mm -hmm. So if they lose all that ad spend, they're shut down. That's it. They're done. If they lose yeah. all that money, so they're not going to speak out against pharmaceutical companies. But at the same time, they, they shouldn't don't be allowed to put that many ads on TV. They should not be allowed. To Agreed. And I don't think that that's a monopoly. It's America. too much for profit for to get people it's like basically scaring people into using these medicines. It's monopolized. But at the same time, like they're also not going to try to scare their people into using medicines that are going to kill everyone because if a bunch of people die, then they're not going to have viewership that way either. So. There's medicines, gabapentin. <clears throat> have you heard of gabapentin, Doc? Of, of course, yeah. Gabapentin is one of the most dangerous medicines on the market right now. There's class action lawsuits right now because of the stuff it's doing. They're still pushing it. They don't care. The, the, 
the opioid epidemic was started in the 70s by a family that invented uh, Oxycontin. And they knew, and there's proven studies that they knew it was addictive, but they swore up and down it wasn't addictive. What they did is they would say they they would tell the doctors they would send out um, pharmaceutical reps, okay, for OxyContin to these doctors' offices. And what they would do is they would tell the doctors, "Oh, it's not addictive because, but it's they're seeing breakthrough pain. You need to prescribe more." Mm-hmm. They would prescribe and double the dose on, knowing that full well that it was causing people to be addicted and overdose and die. They don't care about that stuff. They're going to push it on whatever's but- going to make them the most money. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you cannot take the what is called um, the commercial part of it, unfortunately, uh, regarding getting um, profit out of it. Uh, but that's also, I mean, there are so much, just like in medicine, so much difficult things. Um, I guess going back to the ads, I personally, that's my personal opinion. You can call me. Um, really that I am much conservative in this issue, but um, I don't think that uh, medication should be advertised on TV at all. I don't either. I agree uh, because, 100%. Because th- this is something, as you were saying, that's your, you go to your physician that you trust and you have worked on for a long time. You don't want to be coming to him. Oh, doctor, I heard about this medication. Uh, probably it's much more expensive. That's why they're advertising for it. Uh, whether it's going to do a bit more good. Um, you also advertise for medications for different reasons. One reason or another, medications that you think are going to be used for the long term. Uh, and obviously being used for the long term is more people, it's more profit. Um, but that is my opinion that um, certain things, uh, particularly medicines, should not be advertised for. And that's the reason why most of the world they don't advertise for it. So how often do you have a, pharmace- a pharmaceutical rep come in and talk to you about a new medicine? Well, they, 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 they try all the time. I mean, I do. Um, Is there incentives if, that you're given to, pr- no, to prescribe no, no, one no, over well, the well, other? There are no That's illegal, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, is, okay. it is illegal. Um, so they, they, what they were doing, there was a thing in Texas recently that they, were, they had pharmaceutical reps going in and they weren't directly paying them, but they would do um, a contest. Whichever doctor prescribed the most medicine, um, particularly for what was it, Viagra? When Viagra came out, or no, what's the okay. other one that starts with a C? Cialis. 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 When Cialis came out, they all they were taking doctors, and they were saying, if you you know you'll have a contest. They weren't directly paying them, but they were get, you know taking them out to fancy dinners. They had one doctor they were taking out to strip clubs. Um, limousines and all this stuff to to prescribe it. So does that ever, it's illegal for them to um, incentivize you to prescribe one over the other. Is that correct? It's, it's, it's absolutely illegal. Uh, So this, this industry has evolved a lot over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Uh, When I was a young doctor, uh, it was very common for companies to come and take you out for dinners, uh, for, even flights overseas, um, hotels, mm-hmm. all in the hope that uh, obviously, if you, if you accept it from a company, then obviously you are obliged to prescribe more of their product, right? Right. Well, okay. So well, that was the expectation they had. That was the expectation, right? Yeah. 
uh, and you uh, so this was not uncommon like 30 years ago or 20 mm-hmm. years ago even uh, but then strong laws came on rightly so uh, because for this particular reason you're saying uh, prescribe more for this and I will do X, Y and Z for you uh, and it is unethical And it's it is not, not always the best for the patient either. And it's not may, best. Yeah, that was the second. You may know part. that this other medicine is better, yeah. is better, but you're prescribing this one because you get something out of it. You know, absolutely, so. absolutely. It's not the best interest of the patient, so it's unethical and it's not in the best interest of the patient. So, uh, rightly so, regulations came out uh, prohibiting this, and um, I think that regulations. I'm hoping one day regulations would be there that they should not, they cannot advertise for it. It's something that uh, is between you and your doctor. Uh, I agree. Agreed. Agree completely. Yeah. So um, I want to say, I mean, we, so we've been going for almost two hours. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We definitely appreciate you being on. 100%. This. Like this has um, been awesome. So insightful. A lot of I'm information. Had a little fun along the way. As well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're, you know, I, I I always like to ask a guest, I mean, would you consider coming back on the podcast sometime? Anytime, anytime. Okay. Uh, just reach out to me and I'm more than happy to come and talk again. Cool. We so we, we always do a um, final thought segment. What, what if you c- can portray just a couple things to people that are listening to take care of their heart, what would be the three most important things you can say? Uh, number one, I would say um, it's better um, to prevent rather than to treat uh, heart disease. You want heart health, not heart disease. Um, mm-hmm. So always try to be proactive in um, w- avoiding risk factors uh, that can impact your heart and uh, follow regular health style of uh, eating uh, healthy food and regular exercise. Uh, and That would be my number one advice uh, to the audience. One thing I mention regularly to my patients because I feel it relates uh, well to people. Look, look after your heart health as if you are looking after a car that you wanted to serve you for a long period of time. If you, have, if you want your car to serve you for a long period of time, you are going to service it regularly. You're going to have it checked. You're going to have the tires checked. You're not going to bang the car to break it. Uh, you are going to do particular mileage to keep it running for a long period of time. So your body is exactly the same. Don't abuse it. Make sure you maintain it regularly. Go for your heart health checks regularly. Go to your primary care and make sure that you put in um, the good food, the healthy food, um, and uh, get it maintained regularly. So this is very, this is my advice uh, to the listeners. Uh, looking, as I mentioned during the show, um, it's heart health is a part-time job. You have to really to work on it and to have right. time for it. Number two, the issue that we discussed initially, if you feel there is something abnormal in your heart or in your health in general, Uh, especially, I mean, you said you have got chest pain or it, these are very important symptoms and you should get it checked as soon as possible. If the symptom came suddenly, all of a sudden, and it's persisting and it feels unusual, 
get it checked ASAP, go to the emergency room. That might save your life. Right. Uh, literally save your life. Some people don't have the normal symptoms. Um, so uh, if you feel there's something abnormal, for example, you used to be able to walk you know, like a few blocks or go upstairs and now you can't do it. Um, you need to be checked that as soon as possible because that can also be a manifestation of heart disease. As we discussed, some people don't have the classical symptoms. For example, we spoke about diabetics here because the nerves are affected around the heart. So you don't get the normal sensation of chest pain, a severe chest pain that happens uh, in the majority of, of, of people. Um, also, uh, the final thought would be, um, after doing all that, please make sure that you check uh, with your doctor on a regular basis to have to be examined, have an EKG, blood test, etc., so that nothing gets missed. I personally get checked every year. Uh, just uh, I don't have symptoms, but I get checked to make sure nothing goes wrong that is not manifesting and I'm ignoring it. So these are my thoughts regarding um, looking after your heart and looking after your health. Right. Well said. So, so you actually had a YouTube, and um, I don't know Absolutely. if you heard that because you threw up. But sorry, um, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what are you? How you know? If anybody has any questions for you directly or anything like that, how can they reach you? So, uh, two ways you can reach me. Uh, number one, you can, uh, uh, as you said, you can go to my YouTube, and that is YouTube at Doctor Bolad Cardiology. Doctor Bolad Cardiology. Um, and you have got lots of education stuff and I try to publish there as much as I can. Yeah. I've um, looked a lot of your videos over the yeah. past couple of weeks since we started talking. Very, right. uh, very informative. And, and people really get, I mean, you can see the comments. Some people really, uh, get great use out of it. And they ask me sometimes, um, direct questions pertaining to their health. Now I'm not, uh, their health doc. I'm not your heart doctor, but I can give you information to mm-hmm. uh, enable you to uh, check with your doctor, ask specific questions to get answered. The second means you can contact me is to go to my website, drbola.org, drbola.org. And that's the full word, doctor, not dr, d-o-c-t-o-r, bolad.org. And there, there is a button. It says, ask a question for free. And I usually respond within 24 hours. Okay. And I actually answer people from all over the world, from um, U.S., Canada, Europe, uh, um, Australia, etc. Uh, and I will give you your advice about, I'll give you more like information about what you need to know. Uh, so I am all always there, um, able to provide information so you can liaise with your doctor. Uh, to, uh, so when you see your doctor, you are empowered by information. So you just don't go and listen. You know what you're dealing with. Um, yeah, I'll put, what I'll do is I'll put all of your social medias and your website and all that in the show notes. Um, and then we, we're, we'll post it on our various social media as well. Um, it's been great, man. Definitely appreciate you, Gio. What are your final thoughts? Take care of yourselves, people. Like you said, like the doc said, like, you don't even always gotta feel bad to know something's wrong. So yeah, like he re- like he recommended, like doctor recommended. Actually, like get yourselves checked out frequently, often, so that you can get ahead of it before it becomes a problem. Like he said, like per- 
preventative be pre- prevent it before it becomes an issue right to prevent it is better than to treat it right now my uh my final thoughts honestly the the biggest thing for me is number one i want to thank you for joining us yeah, um extremely informative i've learned some stuff that i didn't know for sure but i think the biggest thing is you really got to have a good relationship with your doctor whether it be your your family doctor your cardiologist your whatever doctor it is if I think a lot of people are afraid to change doctors, but if you don't have a good relationship with your doctor, it's not a good, it's not going to work out in your favor, in my opinion. That's um, and I, I still think that there's going to be stuff that come out about um, COVID and the COVID vaccine. Uh, personally, I, I, I do think that things are going to come out about that. Um, I think that's inevitable, but we'll deal with it when they come. Um, Doc, I don't know how you feel, but we always you, have you seen our logo? It's a wolf. Or yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we always ask our guests if you'll give us a howl when we howl with you to end the show. Would you be willing to give us a good howl with us? Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. On three. One, two, One, three. two, three. Howl. <laughs> All right, Doc. I'll get a hold of you soon, man. We'll get you back out here. Okay? Thanks, Dr. Bola. Okay. Well, th- thank you very much. You All right, man. Care. Have a good evening. And same to you.